The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. In fact, there wasn't even really a concept of retirement for most of uh, human history. People would just work until they croaked. Hi, and welcome back to Bloomberg Benchmark, a show about the global economy. I'm Daniel Moss, executive editor for Global Economics at Bloomberg News in New York, and I'm joined today in the studio by our guest host, Kate Smith, who's an editor at Bloomberg covering college endowments. Thanks, Dan. So today we're going to be talking about the retirement age and kind of all about it. So it's historically been 65, but it's been inching higher. And we wanted to talk about this piece that Peter Coy wrote. Um, In that article, Peter wrote about this really interesting working paper from the National Bureau of Economic Research. And in that, it says that on average, a lot of Americans are actually healthy enough to work past their 65th birthday. And that has enormous economic implications. And you know, Kate, the political implications are not small either. I mean, of course, you also have the not-so-nice question that even if Americans can worse Paxis 65, do employers actually want them? So mm-hmm. to do all of those things, we actually brought into the studio Peter Coy. So, Peter, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Peter is um, the Business Week's economic editor and the author of this piece. So, Peter, I'm a little younger than you, but a little older than Kate. Mm-hmm. I have it in my mind that 65 is this magical benchmark, but you're about to tell us it's not and that it's moving all the time. First of all, where did 65 come from? Um, 65 is where the retirement age, the normal retirement age, has been since Social Security was started in the 1930s and during the Great Depression. And uh, in the Social Security reforms that were intended to stabilize the finances, they they said, okay, we're going to raise it in stages to 67. So uh, I'm 58. My my, uh, standard normal retirement age is going to be 66 and a half. Now, that doesn't mean I can't retire earlier than that. I could start collecting benefits at 62, the early retirement age. That's the earliest you can get them. If I do that, I'm going to get um, less money per paycheck. And I can also retire later and get bigger benefits per check if I wait till like 68 or something. And they, they try to do it to make it actuarially fair so your lifetime benefits will be the same no matter when you retire. And the 65 number, though, where did that come from You know, prior to Social Security? Well, um, there had been various state and private pension systems that had kind of locked on to either 65 or 70. So it was a little bit of a choice. Well, which one should we go with? And mm-hmm. I don't know who was FDR or Congress settled on 65. There's a myth that it goes back to Otto von Bismarck, the uh, first chancellor of United Germany, who it's true that under uh, Bismarck, uh, Prussia and Germany did have sort of the world's first public pension system. But contrary to the myth, the age there was 70 when it started. And and later after Bismarck uh, died, it was lowered to 65. And that's why it sticks in people's minds. Okay. So wait a second. We owe the 
social security system in the United States to the Iron Chancellor. The Iron <laughs> Chancellor, yes. Really? Well, I mean, I, you can't say it, it's one person because after Germany, then Britain had one. And then, as we said, there were uh, green shoots. There were different kind of pension systems in the U.S. But Social Security really changed everything. It was a huge program and it's a bedrock of American security today. I was doing a little research on that 65 age, and I found out this really funny rumor that apparently was going around the time of when Bismarck was around. And apparently the rumor was that they turned it into 65 because that was when Bismarck himself wanted to retire. But that, that ended up being false. But that was apparently the rumor at the time that was going around. But you know, uh, back when 65 or 70, whichever the choice was, when those were being put in, Average life expectancy was much lower than it is now. So people tended to have quite short retirements. In fact, there wasn't even really a concept of retirement for most of uh, human history. People would just work until they croaked. I think croaked is a technical term, right, Dan? (laughs) Um, Technical term for death. Or until they just were completely incapacitated. Um, In which case, they'd just be left in the field. (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) And... My article talks about this new research uh, Kate mentioned. The National Bureau of Economic Research has run a couple of papers recently with data, which is really nice. It's really good news that Americans are living longer, A, but also B, healthier lives. So it's not only that you're you're alive at, say, 70, 75, 80, but you, you can still work. So the uh, headline I had on the article at one point was, admit it, you could keep working at 70. <laughs> You know, if you can golf 18 holes under the broiling hot sun, presumably you can sit for eight hours at a desk. Presumably. Right. I think so. <laughs> but, and, and you get into this in your article, but has the system around which this whole concept of retirement and social security and all the infrastructure that's been built up around it, has it caught up with this ability to work well past 70 that you're describing? Well, the move... The gradual incremental move from age 65 to 67 was a step in that direction. But people are saying we can go past that. You could go to 70 or something. Now, this starts getting into some sticky stuff, which is like if you have a job, you know, doing podcasts on the radio, then it's really not physically strenuous work except for maybe your vocal cords. And so you could work easily to 70, but if you have a job digging ditches or working on an assembly line or changing beds in a hotel or waiting tables or flipping burgers, there are a lot of jobs that are physically demanding. And uh, they also tend to be the lower paying jobs. Right. I mean, NFL and NBA being exceptions. <laughs> so the the very people who are getting less money for their work are also in jobs that are harder to do at older ages. So they have less desirable work. And um, for them, going to 70 truly would be a hardship. So we really haven't figured out a way to deal with taking advantage of the greater health and longevity for the most of the population for fixing Social Security's finances without imposing an undue burden on 
the uh, low-income, generally low-income segment of the population. And as you mentioned in your piece, the way Social Security works is it's not kind of, I mean, I'm sorry, it is black and white. Either you are not working or you are. There's no kind of, right. there's no gradient to it. And right. And the disability system works the same way because the disability income is a component of Social Security. You don't have to, uh, you can get it at any age, but it's just like that you have a whole determination about whether you are well enough to work, and if you are, you don't get the benefit. The benefit is 100% or zero. Okay. And so it's a really a cliff effect, and because it's a cliff effect, it tends to cause a, a lot of debate, you know, and and argumentation. It's it's a strenuous for both sides, both the applicant and the government, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, how would you there there's no one of the ideas I had was okay, well, there should be a way where okay if you if you if you are one of these people who has a physically strenuous job, then we'll keep we'll have the retirement age at seventy, but you can just apply for disability, and the problem is that just turns out to be a huge administrative headache if nobody wants to go through that yeah and in addition to the ability to work for longer. Don't people have to work for longer now because they're going to be around for a greater period of time. They need to maintain their house. They want to give some money to their grandchildren. Mm -hmm. They want to do all these things. I mean, people need the money. It's not just about being physically or intellectually able to do it. There's a necessity there, isn't there? So think about that. We're going to get you on that in a second. But first, I have a question. It might reflect the fact I was born outside the United States. People hear this term, the third rail. Social Security is the third rail. But, like, Kate, help me out. What is the first and what is the second? (laughs) So this is a subway analogy, actually. Um, So, you know, you're standing on the subway platform. You look down, you see three rails. The first two are what the, the car actually runs on. And then the third rail, and if you look closely, the third rail is actually much thicker. It's kind of like, it almost looks like it's like a box, long box. And it actually encases all of the electricity that uses to run the subway line. So the idea is that if you touch it, you'll like just like instantly die. It's horrible. And then, and everyone says like, if you happen to like fall in the subway or something like that, like something atrocious, you should never like go to the wall of the subway. You should try to like get in the middle of the tracks because if you touch the third rail, no matter what, you will die. And was that so, an analogy invented just for Social Security? I think people use it for all, like, like really hot-button political things, you know, like, if you touch it, you're, like, you're dead as a politician. If you're, like, you know, a Republican and you want to start talking about, I don't know, some sort of, like, progressive social thing, third rail, right? Like, you touch it, you're dead. Okay. That's helpful. <laughs> you know, Peter, we hear a lot about people having to go back to work after they've retired because they've realized not only are they healthy, they didn't put away enough. Now, we've all heard these stories, the burger flipper and so on. How does that feed in to the guts of your story in Bloomberg Business Week? Well, first of all, you don't have to uh, retire uh, at any age. You, and People are free to work till past 100 if they want to. What we're talking about here is mostly what's the normal retirement age which is the sort of the sweet spot for your benefits. And it turns out lots of people take this normal retirement age as almost like the expected retirement age. So you, if, you, if you just look at the peaks and troughs of when people retire, there's a big jump at 62, which is at the earliest you can get Social Security. 
And that hasn't changed, by the way, when the normal went from 65 to 67. And then you get another one at whatever the normal retirement age is. And so there's a bit of a social expectations component to this. The government is kind of molding people's behavior just by what it sets for its, uh, these numbers. But don't you think of like 62 and then 65 as well as these just kind of like mental finish lines and especially for, you know, these jobs that we're talking about, the, you know, the grocery bagger, the burger flipper. I mean, if you're doing a job like that, you have to have a finish line. You probably, mm-hmm. you, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like to take away that finish line, I'm sure, is would be difficult or To for move people. the finish line back. Exactly. Well, when you're actually, in the race, when you're already in the race. That's why they didn't move up the 62. Okay. They kept the 62 where it was oh. for all those people who just, you know, were just dying and dying yeah. to get to when they, as soon as they can get a Social Security check. Interesting. Yeah. So why doesn't Congress just go ahead and mandate a new retirement age of 70 and simultaneously make it easier for people who have physically demanding jobs to go on disability at, say, 65? Why don't they just do that? Well, it is a possibility. As I said before, one of the problems is just the sheer administrative headache of trying to figure out who's disabled and who's not. That would be to be it would just flood the system. But I mean, they could redefine it, right? You had a physically demanding job, right? So then it would be by career, which is yet another idea, and that's not easy either because you can imagine the gamesmanship of everybody trying to say, "Oh, my job is physically demanding. I want that included." And so the Greeks had, had a very elaborate system of... Uh, Wait a per- second. We're emulating the Greek economy now? <laughs> well, that's, that's, your, that's your idea. There, is that there are over like 500 job titles in Greece that were labeled onerous or physically demanding, including like hairdressers and you know radio technicians and so on. That's nothing about radio technicians, but I'm just saying. <laughs> and it... it the people retiring at age 50. So 50. That, that got a little bit ridiculous. Okay, so we've got Greek hairdressers and the <laughs> Iron Chancellor all helping shape this debate on Social Security and retirement <laughs> in the U.S. <laughs> yeah. I, it's bizarre. And, it, and like you said, it really is the third rail, though, because like as a politician, and we talk about like the the mental idea of a finish line if you're in one of these jobs. I mean, you're not going to get voted in again if you want to tell people oh actually you're going to work another eight years you have to okay you were That's saying not... before that you you uh you're younger you didn't actually ex- expect social security to be there for you when you retire i don't i don't know if that makes me sound like a huge huge cynic though um no i don't i mean and i think a lot of people my age don't as well which is why people you know we really take our 401k seriously and you know trying to contribute as much as you can to that because you don't expect there to be this kind of little safety net for you when you get there so for your generation it's not really the third rail i guess not i think like for me if i heard a politician saying that they want to change the retirement age for someone who is my age it wouldn't make a difference to me i think i would just kind of be in one ear out the other and then i'd listen to all their other platforms but if they want to tell someone who's 55 Actually, instead of working for another seven years, let's assume they're retiring at 62. No, you have to work for another 15 years. That's, I don't know, that just seems unfair for just to make it simple. That would be difficult to stomach. I would imagine if I were 55 years old and someone was telling me, you have to actually work double what you thought you had. Right. Right? You know, there's no shortage of elected officials who will tell us that at some point, 
quote, entitlements, unquote, have to be, quote, reformed, unquote. Yeah. And Social Security is generally the main thing they're talking about there. But does it have to be? Well, something has to happen. Even the kind of the liberal interest groups that are rigorously defending Social Security and that are uh, mistrustful of raising retirement age because they see it correctly as a benefit cut do think something needs to be done. And the usual debate is how much of the change should occur in the of cutting benefits versus increasing revenue. And if you do increase revenue, should it be entirely from within the system, i.e. from people's wages? Mm -hmm. Or could you draw on a bigger pool of money? And there are many options you can think of there, uh, you know, transactions, financial transactions okay. tax or capital gains uh, tax or something like that to, to kind of get the bigger pot of money that's out there in the economy. Interesting. So what's the next chapter in this story? I think that uh, we're coming up on, I think, every year that tweaks a little bit, but the the trust fund is going to run out in 2036 like, or 2037. And at that point, the only money the system will have is the money that's coming in, uh, which covers only about three quarters of benefits. And well before that, they're going to have to come up with another tweak to Social Security because there's no way we're going to just like cut benefits by a quarter. So uh, I, w I think, who knows, maybe in the next presidential administration, they're going to have to start revisiting this. Is it possible to even live on Social Security? I can People do. I can imagine it would be tough here in New York City. People do, Dan. Uh, it's, it's amazing how many, I, I wish I had the percentages at my fingertips, but as a substantial percentage of Americans who have no pension, uh, private pension and no retirement savings and Social Security is their primary means of support. And they are able to live a decent life on that. Yeah, you know, a penurious life. Interesting. I mean, one thing I also find interesting about, you know, if you want to talk about changing retirement benefits is you look at state and city pension systems, you know, their public pension systems, you know, kind of a local version of Social Security, if you will. And you've seen a few court rulings that actually really benefit retirees, um, like more so than actually the law would necessarily um, agree with. Uh, great example is Detroit. Um, in that bankruptcy settlement, those pensioners got about 87 cents on the dollar, yeah. while you saw some bondholders who were legally above pensioners. Right. Like, they were up, there was no question about it. Right. I mean, some walked away with nothing. Right. I think uh, that reflects the public's perception that it's really hard to just leave people in the lurch. But I also think it reflects a complete inability to predict what can happen with benefits and when it's really, you know, someone's life on the line, you know, what you're talking like, can you really survive on what currently Social Security is? And I think to me anyway, when I'm looking at Social Security, seeing rulings like in Detroit really make you realize that it's impossible to predict what you can do. Because even if you know every law about this, who's to say, you know, emotions won't prevail? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, a lot of people talk about working longer because they need the money to retire. And then, and they do surveys, so they ask people every year, do you expect to retire within the next year? And the answer will be no, no, no. And then one year they'll say, do you expect to retire the next year? And they say, oh, I already retired. <laughs> I retired last year. It happens amazingly abruptly for a lot of people. A spouse gets sick, you right. get sick. 
change at work, and suddenly you're out of the you're out of the workforce. Okay, so then let me ask you the obvious question. You guys are a little bit older than I am. When do bit. you guys plan on retiring? Well, I have a five-month-old daughter. <laughs> so uh, never. In, in addition to a teenage son. So I'm, yeah, never is a pretty good estimate. Okay, great. Sorry to hear that. What about uh, you? Uh, well, I shouldn't say this because I just finished saying that you shouldn't allow, you know, random numbers picked out of the government to determine your thinking, but... 66 and a half. <laughs> Says the economist, of course. <laughs> we'll come record an episode at your beach house, Peter. <laughs> so, in all seriousness, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Benchmark will be back next week, and until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal and Bloomberg.com, as well as iTunes and Stitcher. While you're there, take a minute to rate and review the show so more listeners can find us. And let us know what you thought of the show. You can talk to uh, Dan and I on Twitter. You can find Dan at, at Daniel Moss DC, and you can find me at by Kate Smith. And our guest Peter is on Twitter at, at Peter Coy. And don't forget to check out the article he's written about this. We'll see you next week. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.